Flight Suit Friday podcasters, welcome back. We're here with uh, Sam, and our guest here is going to be Scott Sanborn. But uh, Sam, how you doing, bud? Good, Kenny. Good. Back from uh, holiday leave, which was awesome. Uh, do you guys go anywhere for vacay? No, we had a super low key man. We were just at the house with the the kiddos, opening gifts and stuff. It was it was really good. Nice. Uh, it was. 75 degrees, went to the beach, went swimming. It was great. Yeah, I was up in Vermont, did some uh, ice skating, I'll call it, up at Stowe. Really went downhill skiing, but <laughs> I haven't been skiing in the Northeast for so long. It's so terrible. But that was a good time. Yeah, we got uh, a great guest on today, uh, a pinnacle of Coast Guard 65 Aviation, and looking forward to talking yeah. to him. That man is an absolute legend. Absolute legend. Uh, we got tons of great shout outs. Um, thank you first to everybody who's been sending those in. Um, first one was from Air Station Humboldt. Um, this was a case for Lieutenant Justin Lovell. I think it was his first uh, duty day as an AC um, on the 5th. Uh, made a, I think, 15 minutes uh, on his first duty day before he uh, got diverted for a hiker. Uh, looks like she broke her leg off a remote stretch of the Lost Coast Trail. Uh, no vehicle accidents. Um, pretty standard case, I feel like, for Humboldt. But got under a fog layer, found her, stabilized the leg hoisted her and then and her husband and brought her to an ambulance uh, and got her safely home. So Flight Mac AMT3 Owen Maurer, um, it was only his fourth duty day as well. And uh, the co-pilot was Lieutenant Rachel Seaman and uh, swimmer was AST3 Cody Wright. So uh, congrats, uh, crew from Humboldt. That's awesome. Uh, next one, uh, back in November 5th, the fishing vessel Laura runs aground uh, and starts breaking to pieces in the frigid waters of uh, Chiniac Bay up in Alaska. Uh, 60 crew goes out there, uh, gets all three people. They're able to get their Gumby suits on and climb on board a raft, and they hoisted them no problem. But the uh, kind of fun fact about this story is about three days later, they're starting to do salvage. They send a 60 crew out there, uh, start looking for oil and diesel and stuff. And the boat had a like a mascot, like a dog. And the owner was like, hey, we never found the dog. The dog never got off. And so they're out there looking for oil, and the, the swimmer uh, goes and is like, hey, there's a dog on, on the shore. And so sure enough, they go land on the shore and pick up this dog who was a black lab uh, mix named O'Malley after the Irish pirate who dog was born on Christmas. And uh, the swimmer who is Petty Officer First Class Rafael Aguero, I guess he goes by Ralph, uh, is an animal lover himself. He's got four dogs, three horses, 15 chickens, and a rooster. So he said that uh, he's like approaching this dog who's been you know, stranded out um, you know, ev evading bears. Cause I guess this Island is covered in bears Jeez. was a little worried about how he approached it. And, uh, he knew that everything was going to be fine. Cause as he approached it, there was just a little, little teeny tiny tail wag as he walked up and yeah, they got the dog and recovered him. So good job getting the people and the dog. Is a, what a heartwarming story right there. It is. Yeah. You know, anybody else out there has got good ones with, with animals. I, I'd love to hear them. Um, one more out there um, for, it's a it's kind of a, a group effort for the West Coast, Air Station San Diego and Air Station Sacramento. They responded to um, a woman who had ingested antifreeze on a sailboat. This is back in August of 2021, so sorry for the, the delay, but it was 330 miles west of Bodega Bay, so way, way 
out there. Um, the 60 crew uh, from San Diego first, there was a ferry crew, uh, Lieutenant Commander Jack Shadwick, Lieutenant JG Tara Strauss, and AMT2 Fernando Gamboa. They ferried it, I'm assuming, up to San Francisco. And then from there, uh, Lieutenant Commander Paul Younghans, uh, Liam Otto, AMT2 Joel Sprouls, and Chief Tyler Holt was the swimmer. Um, they bounced two stops on a national security cutter in order to get out to this uh, this patient. Um, crew flew over nine hours, um, was able to recover them. Uh, they actually picked up a San Francisco EMS firefighter um, and brought them out to the sailing vessel as well. Um, the ready crew from Sacramento, uh, they provided cover. And a shout out to all those fixed wing guys. I know we don't always give them the most love on our podcast, but man, when you're way out there and you have nobody to talk to, like having that cover asset and having just, you know, big brother up in the sky watching over you is is so helpful. So a shout out to those pilots on the um, on the C-27. Uh, it was Lieutenant Matson, Lieutenant Rath, Lieutenant Commander Hunt, and Lieutenant Meacham. So a uh, great combo effort uh, from a lot of air stations on that one. So um, that's our shout outs for the week. We got some news too. All right, starting off with the uh, echo transition. Uh, Hitron still full board. Next up after that is going to be Humboldt. We just had their initial call. Getting all the uh, players together in a plan for their transition. And then um, after that's going to be San Fran. So I think after this summer, West Coast is going to be fully echo from the 65 side. So that's exciting. That's awesome. Um, some 60 news too. Oh, I got a question for you first, Kenny. Who composes the quad P? Oh boy. Uh, let's see. We've got 7-Eleven. Okay. CG-41. Yep. Uh, you got safety. Safety. Eleven thirty-one. Uh huh. Who am I missing? Nine, nine, CG nine acquisitions. I think. Oh yeah. I, uh, I those ask, are the bean counters, right? <laughs> I, yeah. I always ask this because I get these. We get these email updates, and there's the quad P, and this one also has the ACF. You know what the ACF is? No, no. Area Commanders Forum. I heard FRAP today. Like I don't know who is creating all these awesome acronyms, but. Completely lost. I don't know any of them yeah. are. You guys better watch out. They might create a syllabus for all the pilots to, you know, know all the headquarters acronyms. Hey, yeah. Well, this up. Add it to the AOP syllabus. It's a quad, that's, that's quad awesome. P plus T. Wait, there's now. quad P plus T. Quad that's PT true. plus, I think. Quad PT plus. Um, we got the tri P's. I don't, that's another one out there. Anyways, I digress. Uh, 60s. So Noel is supposed to get their first 60 sometime in the spring. So they're our next air station and they've re-racked everything uh, as far as the 60s go, at least the next uh, air stations they're going to do. Um, the next one in order is now Ventura, which I think it was Kodiak. Uh, yeah, I think before. that's a, I think that's an allegedly right now. It's I allegedly. I think are fighting over who. See, see what happens. Yeah. Yeah. So the most recent area commanders forum and meeting of the quad P plus T said, uh, they send us info Ventura, then Kodiak, and then possibly Miami and maybe, um, Detroit. So the goal is to transition one sixty unit per year now over the next 15 years. Um, next purchase, uh, the sixties, as four from Congress, that's $82 million and that's ready in assignment year 24. So I guess we'll get four more hulls there. Um, and I think Mobile is supposed to get a fifth hole here just to anticipate training more people to, to fly those. All right. 
right, welcome. Hey, uh, Scott Sanborn, how you doing, sir? Good, thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm going to have a hard time not calling you Commander. What, what would you prefer? Scott's fine. Okay, Scott. Or Scott sir. Yeah, definitely. I'm actually having a hard time looking at you without <laughs> like a big shitty grin on my face because the beard is like, it's got that little white, it's like a white goatee mixed in there. Yeah. Yeah. I haven't had a chance to have a beard in, uh, well, 20 plus years, right? So I, I think the closest I got was when Ben was born a couple of years ago and I had like almost 30 days off. Yep. And uh, most of the time it's just a quick goatee and I knew it was getting gray, but I didn't realize how much red I had over here. Yeah. Yeah. Inside, so I really well, like it. Mustache is still nice and dark and oh, full yeah. though. That's yeah. good. I haven't trimmed it really much at all since so the we're, retirement. We're going to start with some word association for you, sir. I'm going to throw, Kenny and I will throw one word at you. And we want to, to know what you think about it. Okay. Okay. Mullet. Love it. OERs. I hate it. Mustache. Love it. <laughs> uh, bourbon. Love it. GMT. Ugh. I think I just threw up in my mouth. <laughs> Kids. Love them. Staff door. What's that? <laughs> CrossFit. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> All right. That's <laughs> awesome. What, what do you think is the shortest workout you've ever done? Because I remember like- Two minutes and like 37 yeah. seconds or something like that. Yeah. Because I mean, we, I remember you and I'd be flying sometimes and you'd walk in and I'm like, hey, so you know, we're briefing in like seven minutes. You're like, oh yeah, I'm going to go, uh, I'm going to eat real quick and I'm going to do a quick workout and I'll meet you like dressed out, ready to go. And I don't know how you do it. So yeah, there's the one workout, uh, Fran, every time I see that one pop up on the website, it's like, I kind of throw up in my mouth a little bit because that's usually like just, it's, it's, it's only 40, it's 90 reps. It's uh, 45 pull-ups and 45 thrusters, but man, I can taste my blood when I'm done with that workout. And again, it, I think the fastest I did, it was in like, you know, two or three minutes, but most of the time now it's in the four or five minute range. Is that your go-to get No, quick? no, no. I hate that workout. Okay. No, no, I hate that workout. <laughs> I've actually shifted over. Hedges got me into a push jerk which is like a CrossFit kind of, they do the same stuff, but they actually warm up and stretch a little bit. And I think I need that as I'm getting old. Yeah, yeah. I've been walking a little bit more from my uh, couch to my fridge, but that's probably all I've got going on right now. Yeah, were you the type of guy that would work out on duty? Oh, or, yeah. Yeah, yeah and, I, and there's a good, like good, you know, you talk about aggressive training and how that can be high risk. Well, I hurt myself on duty one time <laughs> in Port Angeles. And uh, it was like, I think that's what I learned over the years is like, I love CrossFit. And I love, you know, working out and being in shape, but if it hurts you to where you can't do things, like that's not helping. And you know, you throw a whiteboard up in a you know garage gym and some swimmer puts some ridiculous time on there, you'll kill yourself to beat it, right? Oh uh, yeah. I mean, I almost, I, you know, Sam and I <laughs> trying to build, beat the senior chief last year at that stupid workout of the day. And it was horrendous. Yeah, like I torched my shoulder for a year, you yep. know, like it's just now where I can start using it again, you know, just to beat the senior chief, you yeah. know. I and actually both by age. Thinking about that, I've gotten injured a couple times now. Captain Borelli, he was the XO when I first got to San Francisco, and he was all about CrossFit. I got a hernia working out with him, and then Captain uh, Wilson, who's now at ALC, he uh, he and I did a push-up competition with a whole unit, and we went up going for an entire year. And I had shoulder surgery after that one, so yeah, yeah, it's good. So I've learned that like it's supposed to help you, right? And so. Uh, there's things I just can't do. And I'm like, yeah, I'm not going to try that. It's not going to, I don't want to be hurt. So I, I think over the years I hurt myself in Mobile when I first started doing CrossFit and it wasn't even CrossFit that hurt me. I just like injured my back doing like shoulder press or something like that. I never let it heal. And I just kept getting worse and worse and worse. Got some PT in Port Angeles, which did help me. But before that I was doing some, you know, like kettlebell snatches in the gym or something one night. And, uh, I tweaked something and I was like, I should stop. Mm -hmm. But I was like, nah, I got to finish this workout. Like no, in my man, head, I have to get, going. I have to get it done, you know? So I'm yeah. like, I'll switch to dumbbells or something stupid. And, uh, all it took was one more. And I was like, I can't even walk. Toast. So I called Reba and I was like, Hey, wh what do I do? She's like, could you fly right now? And I'm like, 
Uh, I think I could get myself in the aircraft, but I'm with a co-pilot. So I'm actually have to actually fly. You know, I can't just, you know, watch somebody else do the magic. So Eric, Eric Purdue had to come in and cover my duty. <laughs> How many hours uh, did you end up retiring with in the 65? 54 or 15 or something like that. How does so. your back feel? It feels great that, right now. I, so I struggle with my back. Again, I got a lot of PT and PA. I got some PT in Houston and even back here in, in Mobile. And um, the best thing that really helped me so when I started flying, I put the seat all the way back and all the way as high as it would go. So I could look over the glare shield and yeah. then I put my pedals all the way forward because I figure it's very repeatable to be able to do that. Yeah. And um, I did that for about 15, almost 16, 17 years. And my, and my posture really sucked. I mean, our posture sucks in the aircraft anyway, when you're hunched over guarding the controls. You should see all four of us sitting right here right yeah, now. We're all yeah, horrible <laughs> posture right now. But uh, I realized like, I just need to move my pedals back a little bit. I moved my pedals back maybe an inch or two. I got a lumbar roll and that made all the difference in the world. So yeah. I, I would say sit, you want to sit in the best position you can because you're going to be in it for a while. Yeah. So, but no, my back feels good right now. There was a, that just made me think of uh, a guy that we flew with in San Francisco, Terry Herdliska, and he was six foot four, six, five, something like that. And he would sit with his seat all the way up because there was some science between or behind putting your hips above your knees that apparently makes your posture better and your back not hurt as much which I can't see anything at that point. I feel like I'm up in the roof. Yeah. Like I think about my little car that I bought to commute. That thing is the most uncomfortable car in the world to drive because you're sitting so low. It's like been on a milk crate and um, the, the truck actually, you're sitting up like in a chair, you know, so you can actually sit with better posture and it's much more comfortable to drive for long trips. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So if there were, if there was any aircraft sitting on the ramp right now, what, what would you be like? Yeah. I'd love to go fly that aircraft. Well, it's hard not to just say the 65 because it's just, <laughs> you've got so much time in it. You know what I mean? It's just so easy to fly once you know it. So yeah, there's nothing you're like, man, I'd love to fly a, a Casa. Well, no yeah. one wants to fly a Casa, <laughs> I don't think, but and that was, I was thinking more like rotary, you know, sure. so, something bigger. Um, no, like I said, I, uh, as I looked at a lot of jobs over the last couple of months, um, you know, most aircraft in the EMS world are flying like uh, either, you know, a, a Airbus product, uh, you know, 135 or 145s. And those are pretty, pretty neat aircraft. Um, you know, good, good power to weight ratio, good cabin size. Um, very similar to the 65. Uh, one of the jobs I applied to was flying the 155 and that was super tempting. And mm -hmm. I, it's like a big version of the 65. And I thought, man, that'll be so easy to get back into that. You know, same, same general, same engines, you know, same layout. But, uh, man, I got in the cockpit and I was like, man, this is like really complicated. There's a lot of switches and they're all in different positions. Like the training switch, I think is on the, on the roof, you know, and really? yeah, it just, you know, but again, not, it's still a cool aircraft, but of course yeah. it was broken. Yeah. And they were having a hard, same, you know, issue getting parts, yeah. you know, so. I think if I had the opportunity to fly a different aircraft, like Apache, um, just because being able to sit center line might be a totally different perspective that we're not used to, you know, like you're way up forward. I, th I think that'd be pretty cool. You can do loops in Apache too. I think you do loops in anything. <laughs> I think the NH90 was at least cool. once, <laughs> at least you know, once. like a big aircraft, you know? Yeah. Uh, I mean, it just looked cool. I don't know if it's actually cool or not. The six day is a great aircraft. I mean, I think the Coast Guard's smart doing it. I, it's, uh, I think the big challenge, again, it's such a capable aircraft. Uh, I think the challenge is taking all the lessons we learned in the 65 community, you know, and then the 52 community, if you think about all those fuel management, power management, wind, lessons and applying those will make you a phenomenal 60 pilot. Yeah. Um, I'm just going to back up just a little bit for our one listener in upstate New York, just to give some background for you, sir. Like you're obviously just retired 22, 
22 years. Um, and then correct me if I'm wrong, Atlantic City, Mobile, Port Angeles, Houston, back to Mobile. Correct. Awesome. Yeah. So um, with that said, you're on to your next step. And we were just talking about aircraft to fly. What have you found? What are you, what are you thinking? So there's a lot of jobs out there. Um, I was, I was surprised the process, just for those of you who are getting ready to punch out, seems like apply online. There's uh, you know, you fill out the application. They're all a little different depending on the, uh, the company you're going to work for. A lot of the companies are kind of interrelated. Uh, like I think it's global medical resources, GMR. Mm-hmm. I didn't realize that they're like the parent umbrella company of like several EMS operators. So like life, uh, air evac life team, uh, reach and, uh, med trans all kind of fall under that umbrella. So like when you fill out the application, a lot of it looks very similar, although they ask slightly different questions, they have slightly different mins. Mm-hmm. Um, the uh, air methods is another one, you know, that a lot of a lot of pilots are uh, are jumping into, and they're a little different. Uh, they're on their own, and they have uh, I think they're union, like one of the few union companies mm-hmm. out there. But they all pay about the same amount. But uh, the interview process was interesting. So you get uh, you upload your resume, get a call, like a screening. Like most companies are like, hey, just to kind of validate some of the numbers on there to make sure you're not a criminal, and then that you warrant an actual interview. And then the interviews range from an hour. Most of them are about an hour either on the phone or via Teams or Zoom. Uh, and they asked a lot of like, just, you know, I dressed up, you know, put on a tie and nice shirt. Like I was going to the interview, mm-hmm. uh, even though I did it on my back porch. And they asked a lot of judgment questions, kind of like a DCA interview, I would expect, you know, hey, what would you do under these situations? You know, mm-hmm. um, you know, the weather's doing this and this is what your kind of general scenario is. And most of it was CRM or ORM judgment. Although the last interview I had um, was more of a, like an actual like oral board. Uh, I was surprised. I didn't know what to expect. So I just rolled into it and you know, I'd, I'd read a little bit on the part 135 stuff just to kind of understand the lingo. I didn't understand it. You know, really, I didn't have it committed to memory or anything. And most of the questions were just 91 stuff that I should have known, but we don't worry about in the Coast Guard. Like, you know, do you need to have your certificate on you at all times? Well, not in the Coast Guard. You know, do you yeah. need, does the aircraft need an airworthiness certificate and a weight and balance in the plane? Well, we don't really worry about that in the Coast Guard. We self-certify all that. So, um, there were some things I was like, oh, I definitely look an idiot, you know, in front of this guy. Mm-hmm. And uh, he asked me some airspace stuff and, and most of that I thankfully got right. Um, but there was a couple of aerodynamics things. I gotta be honest. Like I, I feel like I'm a pretty solid aerodynamic instructor and he asked me a lot of why questions like, Hey, what happens in retreating blade style? Oh, the aircraft's going to pitch and roll this way or depending on which way the head mm-hmm. spins. He's like, why? Oh, it does it because of this and this. And he's like, okay, why does it roll? I'm like, well, because of, you know, the lift on He's like, well, you said gyrospat. You know, he just like, he really quizzed me on stuff. And I was like, man, I feel like kind of an idiot right now. And, and he did a good job explaining and breaking it down. You could tell he had a lot of instructor base, you know, and, and had been teaching for a long time. But it made me think like I needed to ask harder questions of why. And I hadn't. I was just like, oh, this is what it does. And that's it. Was everybody who interviewed you younger than you? No, no. I think uh, like this guy had been doing the industry for a long time. Okay. Uh, and he was like a kind of a general manager. Most of the guys were older than me. Okay. So. Um, were they I, pilots or just? Yeah, like they all HR. had been pilots. Oh, yeah, okay. but it all kind of grit, you know, moved up in the chain and were either regional managers, you know. So mm-hmm. um, I did get uh, offers at every place I applied, which really surprised me because uh, I applied all over the place. Mm-hmm. And so then it became difficult to decide, like, and I'm not bragging to say, like, hey, I, I'm just saying that having a lot of flight time and having all your ratings, like, I would definitely take advantage of that. Mm-hmm. And the resume, like, I got some great advice from people on the resume. And so I'll just, I'll forward mine out as an example to copy because um, it really made it easy just to kind of get my foot in the door. You know, I got a medical before I got out, an FA medical class one, easy to get, cost me like 150 bucks. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think they throw an EKG in there to, to get the class one. And uh, that way I can just throw it on the resume. A lot of times these guys want single pilot time, single pilot, you know, 
we don't have the single pilot IRFR options. Now I have fixed wing. And so some companies were like, I don't care about fixed wing time. Some companies did value that. Okay. So it just depended on the company. Did but, they um, take a lot of note on your IP time or your yeah. IFR time? Yeah, I think, uh, so like the last company I applied with and the, the one I actually accepted a job with, they actually have like this matrix and they go through all your flight times and they give you basically a pay scale. And I think it can range from like, you know, 70 to 80,000. Mm -hmm. and, and and you can max that out if you have all the max numbers, you know what I mean? Um, and I, I maxed almost every category because of stuff like flight time and IFR time, uh, single pilot time. Um, what else? Instructor time, mm -hmm. for sure. Yeah, because I, I was, we were talking in, in the division about the Coast Guard's probably doesn't, or at least in, in the 65 community, doesn't log instrument time probably as much as we should. Yeah, you should log it as much as you can. Yeah. As long as you legally can. Yeah, you know. right. I, I know that Commander Walton was doing his logbook and- Yeah, we were, we were talking about the mishap with Kobe Bryant, mm -hmm. the crash yeah. right over Malibu Beach area. And here's a helicopter about 8,000 hours. Like how, how much instrument time do you think he logged? No idea. It was about a hundred hours. Mm -hmm. And so Commander Walton was like, man, that's low for an 8,000 hour guy until he looked up his actual hours and he's like, yeah, I'm about the same, yeah. you know? Um, so I, just out of curiosity, you know how much IMC time you had uh, logged? So total, I want to say it was around 700. Okay. But a lot of that was, I would say about maybe 400 actual and maybe 350 simulator or something yeah. like that. I yeah. mean, that's just a ballpark guess. Yeah. Um, some of that's, I think some of that includes fixed wing, yeah. you know, single pilot, some uh, IFR stuff. I, I will be honest, like, I logged as much as I possibly can because yeah. of that. Now the minimums most of these companies want are pretty low. I think it's like 50 or hundred hours right. depending on what kind of program you're going to do, maybe 200 hours. But I will say this, like when you exceed the amount by a lot, it really gets their attention. Yeah. Yeah. You know? So I think that was really helpful to kind of get my, my resume to the top of the list. So now, I'm super grateful of the choices I made over the last 20 years to focus on what I focused on. Now I'm curious if you go out on a special VFR clearance, are you logging that as actual instrument time? I think it's a good discussion. It is a good discussion. It's a really I don't, good discussion, but right? Yeah. I think it, uh, I mean, technically, yeah, we always go, is it IMC or not? You know, can I right. do a tail rotor? Is it yeah. IMC? I mean, you're not really, you're following so, special rules, yeah. but you're really IMC. Yeah, if you don't have any, yeah, because you are IMC, but you don't have any visual horizon, then that's usually my threshold. But you could say like, okay, do you meet the basic VFR weather minimums? Probably if the not. the answer is no, are you considered IMC at that point? I, yeah, I mean, that's why on like, you're on yeah. a special VFR like, clearance. Yeah, the Navy has like a definition for it. Like 3710 has a definition for it. You can go like FAA. Um, but how many times are Humboldt crews going out yeah. at 300 and a half and being like, nah, that's, I'm IMC. I can see the water underneath me. Um, and you're using, you know, ground references to maintain the aircraft upright. I, I don't know. Yeah. yeah, I just look at the FARs. I think a lot of it, you know, certainly if I'm in the clouds, solidly in the clouds, I logged in. If, you know, if I was offshore at night and I'm, I have just instruments to look at because there's no horizon, I would say that's a fair game. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good point. Yeah. I'm always curious about that. So you did take, uh, did you accept I did. a I position? A position. Again, it was, you know, I, I had to think back, uh, I had to kind of value like, what do I really want? Do mm -hmm. I want, you know, quality of life and like a really cool location for my family or do I really want to fly a cool aircraft? And, uh, I had to make a tough decision, you know, and I really struggled with that decision a little bit, but, uh, I chose the cool location and, um, kind of quality of life, uh, over the cool aircraft. So, mm -hmm. I mean, not that the Bell 206 isn't cool. It just, wah, wah, wah. yeah, it's just, uh, <laughs> I, I have to admit, I just was like, not super excited about flying it, but, uh, you know, I think, uh, simple is good. I think I'm going to enjoy it and the base seems busy and I'm excited. 
And you're going to be liable to go back and fly at wedding then if yeah. uh, they do a <laughs> retired recall. I did reach out to Jeremy Loeb and say, hey, how do you how do you like flying this aircraft? You know, after you've flown it now for the last couple of years. And right. he said he loved it. You know, he said he really loved the aircraft. I just remember flying it and I liked flying it, but I didn't think the seats were all that comfortable. Yeah. <laughs> Jeremy Loeb was my on wing when I came through my original yep. T course. Yeah. Was he really? Yeah. Yeah. I saw him at a Publix over in Pensacola Beach. We were just like walking by and we both kind of stopped and looked at each other. It's like, Jeremy and he's like Kenny like yeah hey man how's it going and then we each had to go but that was it and he's a super cool laid yeah. back laid back dude yeah. love him yeah first time I met him was in uh stand visit Traverse City he was uh, I think like leaving the next year we recruited him to come down to the division and uh just super guy ultimate professional great pilot just a uh, good family man he was, he was great he was my AOPS my first AOPS in Houston so what do you think you're gonna miss about the Coast Guard yeah so it's the, the mission I think is very different in, uh, they don't even like the word mission. So I would just highly like when you leave and you try to get another job with someone else, just strike that from your vocabulary. It's, it's a request, a flight request. So when I think they get nervous with, you know, former yeah. military folks, cause you're so dedicated to the mission and you have support from the command to go do whatever it takes to get the mission done. And I, you know, I think uh, my concern from myself is willing to break the aircraft or willing to break rules to save someone's life. And that's mm -hmm. not a thing in the civilian world. The civilian world, it's, it's just, you're an option. And if you can't do it and fit the rules, then you need to land and, you know, give the patient to somebody who can do it. So yeah. mostly ground transport. Like so how do you say no? You just say, I just yeah. can't, yeah, I can't do it. So you just have to it's break like your mindset of like, Hey, mindset. I have to follow the rules. I have mm -hmm. to follow the rules. I can't break the rules. Cause if you break the rules, you're going to get fired. Yeah. And I, I could see how military aviators would struggle with that. Cause oftentimes it's the, the opposite end of that spectrum of, uh, go get the mission done. You're like, yeah, but you're like, go get it done. Don't come back till you're, till you got it done. You know, we're just, that's our mentality, right? Is to, we want to be the ones to get it done. And, um, and we have, because our, 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 uh, you know, operating manual allow us to do that. You know, I mean, I can't think of that many rules I broke to save lives, you know, I mean, probably on one hand. Um, but I would say like, and I can't even think of that time. I don't think I broke the aircraft to save any lives, mm -hmm. but just knowing you have that support from the coast guard to do that if you needed to is, uh, is kind of nice. Um, the other thing I think is interesting is, uh, you know, we do this ORM so much and we, we really continually evaluate, hey, is what I'm doing worth, you know, what I'm risking and what I'm going to get out of this or what's the gain of this? And they don't do that at all. And it, I wonder if that's Whoa. almost better because of the risk we put our crews in for bad information. I mean, we all know the telephone game, the, the phone call comes in over the radio to the command center, they call the flight surgeon, he's got inf complete information, they make a recommendation for medevac, you get out there and the patient is fine. He's got his bags. He just wants off the boat, right? Mm -hmm. And so you risk to get there. Um, and not always. Sometimes they're really worse than you thought too, right? But uh, they don't even ask you. They just say, hey, do you have the wind weather to go? And if you have the weather to go, you go. And if you don't, you don't. And you don't know what the gain is. And you don't care. I mean, the gain may be something really dumb. It's just, it's, it's, it's more of a business model, you know, of just, hey, can we do this? Or should we just do it via ground? Do they um, do a good job at looking at forecasted weather or oh, yeah. is it just like, hey, we have the weather now, we're going to no, go? No, I think they're very careful about it. And there's a lot of checks and balances there. You know, I think okay. your job there is to just sit, wait for the call, but also monitor the weather and see what, uh, you know, can you do it? And the mins are pretty high. You know, I think for a lot of them, it's 1,003 or 1,005, 1,505 really depends on your AOR and your company. And, you know, uh, day or night, do you have goggles or not? Most companies I think now have goggles. So. Mm -hmm. But uh, it's pretty conservative. And again, if you think about it, you know, you, you're going to a place you've never probably been to before. And it's not like us. We get to over the water and we're good. All water is pretty much the same, right? You know, there's all kinds of hazards, you know, to worry about on, on you know, in terrain. So 
Yeah. yeah. Do you know what your weather mints are at the company you're going to? I think to they're going to be a thousand and three day and fifteen hundred and five at night. So. Okay. And, and then uh, single too. pilot IFR? It's single pilot. No, it's just VFR, VFR. program. Yeah. Okay. I really wanted to do a single pilot IFR program because I love IFR. I think it's smarter and safer, but uh, this particular company just doesn't do it. I think they've got like maybe one base that does it. They're starting to get more IFR programs yeah. out there, but um, I think for the vast majority of these operators, it, it might sound good to have the IFR label because they can do some stuff in weather that they couldn't do otherwise with a VFR program, but you need the right aircraft. So if you think about you know, an, an aircraft that's fuel limit, like most of these, you know, you need to be able to get to your alternate and have a weather mins and all that, uh, you know, and sometimes it's not, it's not even feasible anyway. Even if you have the aircraft certified, you just don't have the fuel to be able to do the mission, do the, the flight request and yeah. then get to the alternate <laughs> if you needed to. So it ends up still being a ground transport. Will you be able to continue doing instrument training oh, yeah. in the 206? They have, they've had some good mishaps over the years. And so the FA has really, and the, and the industry has really tracked ways that they can make it safer. And I think through training and keeping your instrument proficiency current, Okay, you know, so on both uh, of the, I think both the interviews I had that they asked me, hey, if you punched in, what would you do? You know, the, the right answer was climb and, and come back IFR. And all the aircraft are IFR capable. Mm -hmm. uh, they're not certified in this company, but they are capable. So they have an autopilot. They have, you know, you can go shoot an LPV or ILS approach. Oh, okay. Yeah. So that's kind of comforting. Yeah. Yeah. I remember um, down... Who, who's the Red Bull helicopter dude with the awesome mustache? Um, oh, I can't remember. His Ryan, name. can you look look that up for us? But I remember he was trying to open up a school um, down in the LA area um, just for you know EMS guys to come practice their BI skills, and he was looking for an instructor, and he couldn't find an instructor where the, his BI skills were good enough that he felt comfortable hiring that person to go teach these people. Like, wow. what would you do if you went invert nine C? And you're like, okay, well let's go actually do it, you know, in, in a, in a basic aircraft that, you know, ADI airspeed altitude, can you safely get yourself in the IFR sure. environment from, you know, someplace you don't know where towers are. Um, and, and he couldn't do it. I don't think he ever opened up the school. I know he was trying to, uh, get the, um, you know, coasties to come over and you're like, yeah, we, we, we can't do that. We'd love to, sure. you know, but, um, Chuck Aaron was the, the dude that was, that was trying to do it. So, yeah, it's interesting. This company does, uh, I think every six months or something, so on a regular basis, they do like, uh, unusual attitude recoveries, you know, in a, they practice it, they go, you, you know, in the simulator as well, you know, to kind of make sure that that skill set is there just so they can kind of cut down on those. Yeah. Yeah. That, um, that guy has a phenomenal mustache. Holy yeah. cow. Yeah. Sir, you could probably grow one out like that. It kind of comes out. And, oh yeah. That's my goal. On the sides. <laughs> yeah. Uh, speaking of, uh, facial, uh, hair, goals. Are you going for a full mullet? So I'm going to try. Really? Yeah. What does uh, that mean? What does it mean? Yeah. Like it means I just don't cut the hair in the back of my, no, I mean, I know, I know business in the front party in the <laughs> yeah. back, but like, is Reba going to be like, yeah, I think, I think she's think still trying to feel me out to see if I'm actually serious about it. Cause I've been threatening it for years and, uh, and obviously I haven't cut it since I retired. Yeah. Uh, Jack is my inspiration because his is phenomenal. Oh, he's, he's got an awesome. It's rocking. Yeah. yeah. It's rocking. So, uh, mullets are back. They're coming back. And I think Jack's going to bring them back. Okay. So, <laughs> I'm going to try, but mine doesn't look nearly as good as Jack's. And Reba keeps reminding me of that. So, okay. Uh, your oh, company okay. has no hair. I have I mean, no idea. I probably should find that out. Yeah. I don't I just, think so. I just wouldn't want you to get real excited about it. will probably be fine until I, yeah. <laughs> I guess I'll find out in a, in a month. <laughs> is it true that you used to keep a picture 
of yourself with a mullet. Absolutely. Do you still have it Wait, on you right now? I don't have it on me now, but it I was had in it, your flight suit. Yeah, right? in my flight suit. Okay. You had a, I didn't know this. What yeah. was this? I just had a mullet picture, you know, from my school. I had a couple different pictures and I would just pull them out. Someone yeah, that would day just to make people laugh, you know, yeah. like, hey, let me see what you looked like in high school, you know? All right. Maybe we can get that picture. Ryan, it's on the town. Put that on. Oh yeah, it's it? out there. Oh, yeah, I yeah. need that picture. I need to put that on my desk. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> so it might look different with a mustache and a, or a goatee. I think that might be the game changer because it looked horrible yeah. in high school. I mean, I admit it looked awful. No but way. I, I mean, as a hockey player in high school, like I just I idolized all those guys and they all had mullets. You oh know? yeah, absolutely. So it was like the hockey. You have all your teeth, teeth though. Yeah. I you have all my teeth. Like rip yeah. on your, That's your front tooth. That's true. Do that or something. All right, moving on a little bit. You've you've mentioned safe, aggressive training. Kind of a two-part question here of, all right, let's look at a scale. In the middle is safe, aggressive training. To the far right of that is reckless. Uh, to the far left of that would be like, hey, basic, boring. Uh, you're not even going get to the, get the mission done. Um, where do you think you were on that scale? And where do you think other people thought you were on that hmm, scale in your career? That's a good question. Um, so I think I've always been too far to the right. I would say my, uh, from the time I could sign for the aircraft, I think I was getting in trouble for doing things in the aircraft that were considered higher risk. You know, um, as a new aircraft commander, I remember uh, landing on the ramp. I think I air taxied in with a tailwind, you know, uh, whipped it around into the wind with AFCS off, landed on the spot, you know, and of course my ops boss is the one pulling his helmet bag out of the next aircraft because he had just shut down. And yeah. I was standing tall in his office in about 15 minutes, you know, with my co-pilot and he looked at my co-pilot, Frank Fusco, who's an army guy. And he's like, Frank, we don't fly that way in the Coast Guard. And of course, Frank totally dimes me out. And he's like, sir, you know, that wasn't me. He goes, oh, I know it wasn't you. I'm just <laughs> letting you know that's not how we fly. And uh, and I was like, hey, it was me. You know, I just, I feel like that's, it's a skill set we should all have. And he's just like, no, we don't fly that way in the Coast Guard. And I'm like, okay. And uh, of course he left and became our XO. And then our new ops boss, Scott McFarlane, you know, took over and he had several sessions with me in there for doing kind of the same thing. Or mm-hmm. I didn't even think I was showing off or being reckless. I was just flying the aircraft, you know, at least that's how I felt. But, um, you know, he's like, you gotta hit the transition point outside my window, you know? And I'm like, man, I hate the transition point. It's so boring. <laughs> so I've always kind of leaned a little bit further to the right. And then, uh, you know, being here at Mobile, you know, you get kind of a reality check flying with students and that's exciting enough, you know, just trying to keep, you know, from them from killing you. Uh, but you know, I'd started slowly kind of when I'm flying with recall or redesignation students, you know, they weren't trying to kill you the whole time. I try to experiment with new things. And that's kind of how I figured out the whole, uh, was that the stuck pedal tail rotor single engine thing, you know, where like if you were had a stuck pedal that you couldn't land cause you just kept spinning to the right, you mm-hmm. know, how do you land the aircraft? And you know, we talked about it in the plane and I was like, I don't know if you threw the training switch, let's see what happens, you know? And so we kind of set it up and it worked awesome. And I've been showing that to people, you know? So I think I started to kind of stretch myself a little bit here doing kind of some things that weren't maybe smart before the rules were in place. Like uh, when we got the Echo or the C-Model transition, you know, it was like, hey, let's overtorque this aircraft every way you can because we didn't really know what we were doing, you know, to the aircraft. Mm-hmm. And, um, and you know, there was no limits. So we could throw the training switch any time. You know, you could go hoist at 9480 if you wanted to. You know, and I remember people saying, man, the rotor washes, there's so much rotor wash, it must be that NR high switch. It's like, no, you idiot, you never ever hoisted this heavy. Like yeah. that's why there's so much rotor wash. So, um, doing 80 foot, hundred foot cut guns, you know, I mean, I didn't ever start with an 80 foot cut gun. You know, we start with like 10, 15, 20 feet and be like, let's just keep going. Going straight down or would you drift forward? No, straight down. You know, I think the key is again, I would never really do it until it was really light though. You know yeah. what I mean? Like last maneuver of the day, you know, and I would just kind of add five feet every time. And once you get above uh, ground effect, you could be at a thousand feet. It really doesn't matter. Like once you're out of ground effect, 50, 60, 70 feet, it really doesn't matter at that point. So, um, and, and I felt like we were doing it safely, but again, you know, if you're too heavy and you, or you don't have the wind, 
you could have a hard landing pretty, pretty uh, quickly. And I had one of those in North Bend. I was on a stand visit out there and I remember I was flying with the, my old warrant, you know, and he's acting as our BA and mm. man, I, I had a cut gun that just didn't end well. I mean, we didn't break anything, but I remember him saying something like, well, that wasn't good. You know, and I felt like an idiot. Like, yeah, that was kind of stupid. Like, mm. what was I thinking? Mm. I mean, not even, this isn't even my aircraft. I'm not even at my home unit, you know? Yeah. Um, doing Wifferdales, you know, showing people my Yuli demo. Um, I think I've done that since being here at Mobile the first time. And again, I feel like it's a good demo, but, uh, man, I, I pissed off the Warren out in San Fran one time. He looks out and he sees the aircraft just spinning on the ramp. And he comes out after me. He's like, what were you doing? I'm like, oh, I was just doing this demo. And he's like, well, you were like whipping around really fast. I'm like, yeah, sorry. I didn't mean to freak you guys out. Maybe I should have done that somewhere else, you know? And this was before their mishap. I'm sure now it would be like a, definitely a no, no mm-hmm. yeah. on the ramp. So, and there's, you know, I, I think, uh, getting to Port Angeles, I think the weather really, I got very complacent with the weather and I almost like made it like a challenge. Like, Oh, it's foggy. Let's go find a way to fly. Mm-hmm. You know, we got a waiver like Humboldt because, uh, we wanted to be able to fly when it was crappy out. And, um, it was like, you could depart quarter miles Also, the weather on, you know, up at Fairchild airport was good enough. And, and we use it a lot. I, I probably used it more than anybody, you know? Um, and, and it bit me at one point where I was going out to do a right seat skills flight and the, uh, you know, it was a co-pilot doing awesome, but needed some night, night boats for the flight mech before we started swimmer work and had the fog just there. And so I departed special V didn't even need the waiver, but, um, the weather just kind of rolled in on us. You know, we kept moving back to get further and further from the fog and it, I could have found a better area. I could also got in the Harbor, you know what I mean? But I was like, Oh, let's just stay offshore. Cause it's a good environment for him. Mm-hmm. And the poor Copa had nothing to look at. You know, he's looking at Canada on the right seat, you know, and there's, you can't see Canada. It's just darkness over there. And at mm-hmm. one point he said to me, I feel like I'm, I'm looking at a snow globe. You know, that's all I could see is the lights of the boat in front of us in the, in the mist. And I should have been like, now it's time. And I grabbed the controls to kind of stabilize us. By the time I looked outside, it was totally IMC, you know, and you can't hover in the fog. You just can't. So uh, I tried to fix it. Couldn't fix it. Put my goggles down. That was no better. We had to shear the swimmer and do an ITO. And I feel like an idiot, you know, like here I risked the swimmer. I risked the, in fact, the swimmer looked at us thinking we were going in the water and he disconnected. So he was just like holding on to the, the hook, letting it, you know, figured if we ended up in the water, he'd swim over and get us. But, wow. um, it, that took about four seconds to get out of control when that happened, you know, and you guys like to spin or no, no, no. We just, I mean, I started backing down, I think. So he was backing down. I took the controls. We stopped the backing down. And I looked how much nose down I had. And I had like 10 degrees nose down just to stop us. And I realized, I feel like I was kind of balancing on a, a, me- a medicine ball or something like that, where we're going to just careen off in another direction. That's what I call for this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, ironically, the flight mech was surprised. He's like, Hey, the swimmer's right there. He thought we had it, you know, but I'm like, no, nah, I'm, I'm stable for about one second. Yeah. So, um, we did an ITO and, uh, you know, the small boat came in and got him and he was a, he like, I think he tweaked his, tweaked his back a little bit at some point on one of those couple of hoists. But, um, again, it just wasn't worth it. You know, like, what do we get out of that? Well, we came back without the hoist cable, you know, nobody died. We didn't over torque, but man, like we could have, mm-hmm. could have died. Mm-hmm. And that three, five mishap had just happened, you know, maybe six months prior. So that was fresh in my mind. And I was thinking to myself, this is how fast that happens, you know? So I definitely realized at that point I'd gone too far. Yeah, I was definitely way off the scale of aggressive, safe training. And I was stupid training, you know, cause he's not getting anything out of that training. Was that some, is that a situation that you've thought about again in the future as you're going out to do training in bad weather? Absolutely. Uh, is it I like think, a gut check for yeah, you? Yeah, I think, um, just think about what the mission is. Like in Houston, when I got there, we didn't have any training men's. We had basically a, the rule was if it was less than 1,003, we just talked about it. And we'd set men's for that flight. So it wasn't like a hey, standard 502, like most units use. It was like mm-hmm. anything less than 1,003, let's talk about it. And often we'd send crews out there, you know, 301, 300 and a half, you know, go do some, 
you know, instrument approaches or something like that. But, you know, we would tailor the mission and, you know, the men's to the crew. So we would say like, hey, there's no point in going hoisting tonight. Like you're not going to get any hoisting done. So go do some instrument work, you know? Mm. Uh, and I think that was smart. And I think that's kind of one of the lessons I learned was, you know, uh, day land. I had another, you know, coming back here, a couple of day land students where I was like, Hey, it's, it's good enough. And I looked at the forecast forecast wasn't awesome, you know, and the student ends up going out there and, and we got some training in, you know, but we ended up coming back like super low, low IFR, you know, like uh, special V in an area that I'm not familiar. So now I'm like, you know, crawling over terrain, like hundred feet over houses. And I had to kind of tell ops like, Hey, that, that weather caught me off guard, you know, and, and what's a student like, of course he probably loved it. He's like, this is awesome. You know? And I'll be honest, I wasn't scared, but it was almost like I'm too comfortable, you know? Yeah. And I think, uh, that's where I'm a little nervous going into the new community where that's not kosher. So, so folks, you can, uh, as you can tell the conversation, we've got a lot more to talk about with commander Sanborn. We're going to cut it here. Um, great start though. Right. Kenny, I thought, uh, we got into some good stuff there. Yeah, I think it's really good, to, like I said, to have, have this conversation of where you lie on that scale and and making sure that you're not being reckless with stuff. And just because you go out and do it a few times doesn't mean you're going to consistently be able to come back safely and do something. Not only that, but like think about your your margins for error too of like, okay, what are my consequences if this doesn't go right? So yeah, I, I look forward to uh, coming back in part two and continuing the discussion. Yeah, me too. And I think it's, what's great about it is if you... There, there's so many good people at your unit that you probably go talk to, especially like the IP cadre is the first one that comes to my mind. Like, hey, I just went out and I did, you know, this kind of approach with AFCS off or, or something like that. And they can give you a good feedback. Like that, it's a good sounding board. And every wardroom has that range of IPs. There's the the Santa Claus IPs. There's the hard, um, hard ass IPs. And each one of those IPs probably has their own spectrum of where they are are on that training. Yeah, I absolutely agree. Yeah. All right, folks. Well, we'll we'll cut it there. We're looking forward to seeing you again in uh, two weeks. We're going to continue this conversation with Commander Sanborn. we got a couple more stories. Kenny's got a good one. And uh, yeah, we'll see you then. Cheers. Gotta take every chance to